Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm here with Rabbi Teaser Firestone, PhD, and the author of uh, Wisdom into Wounds into Wisdom: Healing Intergenerational Jewish Trauma. Teaser, welcome to the show. Thank you, Richard. Delightful to be here. Yeah, uh, we were just talking before we came on uh, about how on this show and in my own experience, we've talked a lot about healing the individual and, and the in-life experiences and how we heal those and the experiences that people have had. We've spoken less about this intergenerational aspect. And so that's why I was you know, delighted to have the opportunity to read your book and, and now speak to you because that is such an important element of, of, of trauma. And uh, you lay it out so clearly in this book, um, you know, what your family has experienced going back several generations and, 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 and you lay out how it's impacted you and the people around you. Um, so I wonder where, where should we start a little bit about, you know, your background uh, uh, and how you came to be writing uh, Wounds sure. into Wisdom? Sure. Maybe I'll say uh, just as a footnote, even before we begin that, why, why the intergenerational focus uh, is emphasized, and we're seeing it more and more in the public sector now from, from the world of neuroscience and the world of uh, epigenetics, from those fields of science, uh, it has come, it's trickling down into the public. And so we, we tend to see this becoming more and more popular to think of things in assist the system of generations rather than just the individual. And like uh, the things didn't necessarily begin with me they have a larger context. And I'll tell, uh, there's just amazing stories about how we know that's true, but why this is so popular all of a sudden, like out of the blue, is that in the last, probably the last decade, 15 years, I'd say, um, well, not that much, uh, the last decade, let's say, uh, that the research has been showing the imprint, the evidence of uh, the epigenetic uh, residues of stress, of trauma, of extreme life situations on the, the next generations, on two and three and even four generations hence. So we do have the science now that is showing, first it was on animals, that was remarkable, uh, and I talk about that a bit in the book, uh, but then in families, how it is that the uh, after the Dutch hunger winter, for instance, in 1944 and 1945, impacted not the children, but the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren. Uh, that winter when there was an embargo, the Nazis created an embargo and people were literally starving to death. So they knew that, uh, that the pregnant women were going to be in trouble and that the next generation, you know, that those babies in utero would be in trouble. And they were, but then two generations hence, there's data now, showing that not only there's more obesity, there's more heart disease, but there's more depression, anxiety, and that sort of thing in the grandchildren and great-grandchildren of these people. So it's, so it's based in science that we know that the, that the imprints of our ancestors' traumas actually affect us. So we work backwards and we start to say, wow, Maybe the fact that I have been feeling anxiety all my life has some, it comes from some residue that's beyond me. That what, and then I start to think, okay, what, what did my grandparents actually live through? And that's a fascinating thing. Some of us don't even know 
uh, much about our grandparents or great grandparents. And it's a, it's a now we have data. We can go to, um, you know, there there is all sorts of archives and ancestral data online that we can, if even if we didn't know these people, to understand more about my own suffering or my own uh, predispositions for for stress. So that's yeah. a little a thumbnail sketch on the science. Um, but um, I guess I'll, I'll I'll launch in by saying that you know all. I think all of our work truly is autobiographical, and I'd love to hear about yours too. I'm sure it's, you know, your passion is based on something that you know and that you've experienced in your, in your body and your mind. And, and the same with me. Um, I didn't realize how traumatized my parents were. My mother was a, a, um, a Holocaust survivor who got out of Germany in 1939 on the Kindertransport as a teenager. My father was a good American kid born in Brooklyn, uh, but went to war in 1944 and 1945. And he was stationed in a, 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 a bomb detection platoon that was located at the death camps when they were liberated. So he saw things as a very young guy, you know, early 20s. He was a puppy, right? And, mm. um, and he, I think it damaged him. And, and later, only after he died, did we find photographs that he took locked away in his filing cabinet um, that he took in the death camps to record what he had seen. And so it was only, you know, much later in my life, like in my 40s, that I started to see, wow, my parents fit the trauma profile so exactly. And that's why I started to connect the dots. That's mm. why they were like that. That's why they were explosive or they were dogmatic. They were extremely rigid parents. They were freaked out. They were traumatized people. And uh, so I started to, you know, enlarge upon that, my own study and my own healing. And then as a rabbi working with many, many families and seeing that these same patterns were at play. But then enlarging it, you know, beyond the Jewish community. Obviously, this is not a Jewish issue. Trauma is a, a universal issue. And seeing that uh, all families have their own uh, legacies, both wisdom legacies, but also um, dire legacies that, that, that land in us, the kids. Yeah. yeah. And that's an important thing to note, right? I hadn't even considered that term wisdom legacies. Yeah. We, I can sometimes be a little biopic when it comes to this aspect of family history, like how are they traumatized and how far does that go back? But yeah, you're right. Of course there's there's generations of wisdom that also get passed down, also through the epigenetics. That's right. And also resilience, which we need so much today. You know, their ability to pop back. Many of our parents, for instance, or our grandparents lived through the, the, uh, the flu epidemic in 1918, this horrible, they called it the Spanish flu. It, wasn't a, a, it was really a, a, a terrible thing, not unlike what we're going through. And, um, and they, you know, they... They must have survived because we're here uh, to some degree. So there's resilience as well. Yeah, 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 that, that, that's true. Um, yeah, I wonder if we should just touch briefly on that, given you brought it up, on, on what we mean by epigenetics for, for people who have maybe heard that term but not kind of really sure what, what that means. Yeah, yeah. So we know that uh, genetics is the, uh, the channeling through the DNA strands to us of all these different characteristics. So you have uh, sandy brown hair and 
green eyes and a certain complexion. Those are the physical DNA. And also you might have a propensity for being musical or for being a scholar. Uh, but what is the epigenetics? Epi means on top of or above. So there's a effect on top, literally on top of the DNA strands. They call it the methylation, uh, the methyl uh, chemistry that's on top. It doesn't change the genetic uh, makeup, but it does change the genetic expression, the ex- how the genes express themselves. So if let's say our grandparents had, went through a, an extreme poverty or extreme, you know, displacement, discrimination, those kind of war, uh, and they, you know, and, and often that can't be, because they're in motion, they're just surviving. They can't process that. They literally can't metabolize those experiences. Those, there are literally methyl strands on top of the gene DNA of, on top of the genes, the DNA, that will affect how these genes are expressed. So for instance, ex- especially around stress, uh, if they were, if they didn't, if they were, uh, if they had PTSD, if they had post-traumatic stress, and many of them did after grave issues that happened in their lives, that will imprint on the methyl strands that will, that is carried through generations. So you might come down and third generation after them, uh, less capable of metabolizing stress yourself. So Mm. you're, it's like the gene expression is hampered and you are going to be more prone to PTSD yourself. Um, For example, in the Israeli army, these guys are very, very smart and they know that the Holocaust survivor progeny, the offspring of Holocaust survivor grandparents, great-grandparents now, those kids, because they are, you know, really kids, they're teenagers and 20-year-olds, are going to be much more prone to PTSD and not be as, uh, as effective on the front lines. So, ah. they don't, so that they actually take that into account when they're strategizing. Um, because they, those, so those, those, uh, young men and women are going to be more, are going to be more prone, have a propensity to, to stress and to stress reaction. They're not going to be as effective and resilient. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And it's just bringing to mind one of our former guests, uh, Ben Sawyer, who was remarking he's bomb disposal guy in the British army and was remarking how when he went out to Iraq, he he noticed that whilst he was you know, right there on the front lines um, disposing of bombs and he didn't suffer any PTSD and, uh, and yet there were colleagues of his who never left the base. Yes. And all, the only thing they ever experienced significantly that might be traumatic is the sound of bombs going overhead, but they were never physically injured or never saw firsthand any physical injury. They would come back with post-traumatic stress and yeah. You might look at that and say, well, one of the factors might be what have they experienced in their childhoods and before in their own lives before they got to war. And of course, that's important. Right. But yeah, what you're making me think here is, you know, it would be interesting to track the histories of those people with a higher propensity. And is it not just experience in their own childhoods, but, you know, back further generations? Exactly. Exactly. There's so much more. Uh, there's so much more in us. You know, we come from these cultures that, you know, it's all about us. It's, we're individuals and, you know, 
When I was younger, I, I thought, oh, my neurotic family, I'm going to get out of here. And I, I went on a world odyssey and traveled around the world and moved as far away from my neurotic family as I could. But uh, it all, then I realized, but I'm just like mom. <laughs> I have all that in me. That was just, it, it followed me, you know. And um, then I started studying this stuff and I realized, oh, that's why. Yeah, and it's yeah. quite remarkable how it echoes down the generations. There's one, it's Monica, isn't it? I made a note of this when I was reading the book, yes. who, um, who came out with exactly the same phrase that yes. her grandmother had used um, in response to, you know, a- a absent family members, right? She, she uses this That's phrase, right. if you say you're uh, coming and don't come, I can't take it, I expect the work. Verbatim. Yes. Right, that That's she, so strange. Her grandmother had used Listen to a videotape after her grandmother had died uh, several years after and just to connect with her. And, and she realized that her panic attacks, her, her separation anxiety was literally formulated in the same. She heard her mother, her grandmother say the same words that she had just said to her to her boyfriend when he came back late from a ski trip or whatever that was. Um, yeah. So there are these uh, remarkable things. One story that's not in the book because I studied it after the book came out, was uh, a young woman, uh, also very, a, very, a millennial, who was already in a third-generation survivor group um, at post-Holocaust, that uh, she, a remarkable story, that she remembered a, her first night, her first dream that she ever remembered, a recurring nightmare from when she was preverbal. She couldn't even... Uh, tell her mother she would wake up several times a week just crying. Her mother would rush in. Her mother would pull her out of the crib and hold her and rock her. Finally, so this was like a ritual that they went through, and, the, and this dream kept recurring. Uh, finally, she was of age. She could tell her mother what the dream was. And in her little, I guess she was four or so, four years old, she told her mother the story of seeing a man running, running, running after a train in this old town, cobblestones. And, you know, he, she described this little wooden town and he's running after a train and he never caught up. And his, he was crying and screaming. So that's the dream, right? Her mother hears the story as she's rocking her daughter and bursts out crying and says, my God, how could you have how could you have known this? How could you have not? We never told you this. And it was the precise story of her father, who had, was dead, had long died, uh, that he had uh, in the war in, I forget what country it is, but in Nazi, in Nazi Europe, had come home from the black market uh, with food for the family. The door is open. The family is gone. His Gentile neighbor says, rush to the to the train station, quick, the train, they, they gathered all the Jews, they're on the train, rush, hurry, and he runs to the train station, he jumps from the platform into the tracks, and he find, you know, he's running after the train, and the train with his family on it is departing, and he is agonized, running, 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 and never catches up. So that's, the fir- that's his first family. He survived, his family was murdered, and then he went on to have a second family, and so that story, that trauma, that how could that ever be metabolized, right? That trauma all was in him. He told it to his daughter. His daughter never, never mentioned it to her little baby. 
but that baby was imprinted with the nightmare. How yeah. is that possible? That is crazy. So, and then the other, the other factoid here is that, so she, she was an, you know, she had a lot of stress. She found this third generation support group and she told my, my colleague, this other psychologist, uh, that this was not uncommon in the group, that these 30-something-year-old uh, young people were uh, actually, that, that, they, that there were others of them that had dreamt their grandparents' dreams, their grandparents' nightmares, that was their nightmare of the grandparents' trauma, without having heard the story. So we don't know that, how do we ever look at that scientifically, however, it's... Uh, really an important vantage point, I think, that we are carrying our grandparents and ancestors' issues with us, which in a way is a relief if you think about it. In a way, it's a burden. In a way, it's also a relief to think, oh, this, this thing I'm carrying didn't actually begin with me. Yeah. And I, but I can help to take this riddle and un untie it, this knot, and untie it for, um, for my ancestors as well as for myself, and also for my own offspring. I don't want to pass well, this on. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really important point, isn't it? And it's often, you know, I've, I've heard the quote, right, if we heal ourselves, we're simultaneously healing our parents, our grandparents, our kids, their kids, right? We're, we're healing it back and forth. We're, we're healing back and forth down in generations. Um, but the other thing that comes to mind as you're speaking is that sometimes in my own process, I've come across stuff which I just can't quite make sense of, like why am I upset about this or angry about that? And I've, I've sort of just developed the practice of just going with it anyway, right? I mean, there's this, there's this great um, phrase, you know, weird your way to God. You could say weird your way to healing, right? We're, you know, just if it, if it just kind of accept the feelings and go with it anyway, even if you can't find a rational uh, uh, explanation as to why this might exist in your psyche. Um, but this may be one explanation for that, right? It may be that in those cases I've been healing, um, yeah, yeah, experiences that, that have been passed to down God. to me. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great phrase. I love that. It's so British, weird your way to God. It's actually from an American, uh, <laughs> who wrote a book called uh, Soul Shaping. Uh, I, yeah, that's great. Um, out of LA, as you might expect, for a guy into weirdness. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. So th these are these are really um, yeah important points. And 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 if you do you mind me asking, like, are, are there are there particular examples from your own experience where you've 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 sensed like, ah, yeah, I get. I think that was one that was was handed down. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know. Oh, so we're recording this. It's still COVID is still in our midst. And, um, you know, the kinds of thoughts that I have of, of doom and gloom, I realize oh, some people are very optimistic about this. And some people are actually enjoying the time to, uh, the time apart when we're not going out to concerts and theater and all of these things uh, to work on their instruments or to write their book or to take that time creatively. And they're very, very content. Others of us are freaking out that this is going to get worse and worse and, and that this is never going to go away or there will be an isolation forever. You know, it's that sort of mentality, I realize, is a bit of a, I have a bit of a war mentality 
although I've never really lived through a personal war, uh, a war that's affected me deeply, although certainly my country has gone to war and has affected the world but um, in those ways, but I've never suffered from these things. And yet I, I do have this kind of, uh, you know, shrugging kind of uh, agitation that I know is... I've really, I'm really okay. I live a very privileged life, and there's just this sense of uh, a yikes inside of me. Right. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and you suspect that goes back. I suspect that goes back. I've also had people contact me uh, during this COVID period of uh, their parents, two different people. Their parents were in hiding in both in Holland during the war. They were as children. They were, you know, an Anne Frank kind of situation, uh, hidden away. And so their, their trauma is profound. It's like, mm. I can't, I need to get out and I can't get out. I think that was more uh, pronounced in the beginning of the, of the epidemic, of the pe- pandemic. But uh, yeah, so what is our history? What, is, what did our ancestors live through? Um, it's good to know these things and to scratch the surface a little bit and think, what was their life experience? Because uh, actually, that it's probably in my in my cocktail, you know, it's probably in my own chemistry. Uh, what's what I'm experiencing now during these kind of um, rough patches that we're in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that 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 makes a lot of sense. And then in the second second half of the book, you you lay out these uh, these seven seven principles. Um, you know, for healing, yeah. which I liked, um, you know, for several reasons, you know, especially as we talked about before the call, you, you call out community as being important. Um, yeah, finding you, your and, tribe, finding your yeah, community. Yeah. And then, of course, you, you, you dive specifically in, this is about Jewish trauma into, uh, you know, re- redefining Jewish chosenness, um, you know, which I found really interesting and I guess yeah. gave me slightly deeper interest insight into i mean i'm not at all familiar with the sort of jewish culture or or tradition or anything so that was yeah well it's so interesting richard because uh actually my the paperback is coming out this year and uh the publisher decided to drop the word jewish because of what has happened with this book because it has had such a universal appeal and um so it's now it's it's going to be wounds into wisdom colon healing intergenerational trauma because so many people, I mean, yes, Jews have a certain, you know, that's a biblical uh, inheritance. You're the chosen people, which has obviously gotten us into a lot of trouble. Whenever, whenever anyone is chosen, a preferred, you know, the, the preferred child, the favorite son, you know, all of that stuff, that's, that's always uh, causes problems. And it does collectively as well. But one thing that has uh, almost humorously come up in teaching this material is, uh, and teaching it around the world now because I'm teaching on Zoom. So there are people from, you know, every class is, you know, 20 different countries being represented. And people say that, no, 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 this isn't Jewish. I have that in my family, or I have that in my ethnicity that we're, of course, we're chosen. Everyone feels, you know, somewhat, you know, we, because of what we went through, we are different. We are, uh, we're special. And so um, these seven principles that, that are in the second half of the book really are, are very, um, turn out to be much more 
universal than I had thought, even though my, my research data is on Jewish people. Um, but I'm hearing from my students that, no, 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 that's completely applicable to me. Yeah, and I have to say the same. I mean, I, I related to all of it, and it was just given, you know, and I was immediately thinking about, okay, well, what did, because neither, neither of my parents were involved in the war, but their parents were, right? And I'd never really considered, like, my grandfather or my, my maternal grandfather, he, he, he went to war. He was actually in the ambulance corps, but he, you know, presumably saw a great deal and came back, I suspect, traumatized. And, you know, uh, and that would have affected my mother, my my father's father stayed at home. He was a policeman, but I'm guessing there would have been impacts of the war, nonetheless, uh, that I've never really explored. But so, so it was, yeah, I, I would concur that, that these principles are absolutely generic. Um, I think it's interesting that you're finding that other people have a sense of chosenness, even if they're not, that's not explicit in their religions. I don't think I identify that with, my, with that so much, but then maybe I didn't, I didn't have a particularly religious upbringing. So Mm-hmm. Um, maybe had little, I had one. Oh, you know, we, you know, we Firestones or we Athertons or we, mm. you know, we have a, spe- you know, it's, it, it's just a, a certain pride or we don't, re- we don't realize that everyone has that. Hopefully everyone is given that. Or for some of us as we have suffered more mm. than others. And so we have a specialness in that suffering. I think, uh, I think it's, and it really is impossible in my country, in the United States, you know, we have. Uh, the black community, the African-American community has indeed, my God, what they've gone through and, and, you know, being shackled and abducted from their, from their homes in Africa. Well, you had, uh, in your country, you had a hand in that as well. And um, in colonization of various places and abduction of, of certain peoples and in our imperial histories. Um, And so these people do have, it is a special, it is a, a certain heritage that no one else can truly understand what that's like to be, you know, my grandfather was a slave or uh, we come from this. That is, it just gives you a sense of marveling or gives me a sense of marveling for what people have gone through and how that's imprinted in them. Uh, the, you know, certainly the black community in, in the United States and the indigenous community, again, it's, it's, uh, profound what you know the kind of genocide they lived through but that isn't that's never been truly mentioned uh by our or apologized for by our leaders um Mm. i know that in i live in colorado and that is the country where that is the state where the arapaho nation lived and there have been massacres in this state and um uh the sand creek massacre the governor uh governor hickenlooper this is a few years ago Oh, actually went, it was like a 200th anniversary, went back to the site of this horrible massacre where they were literally waving white flags. No, 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 we, we're with you. We're friends. We've, we've made peace with you. We, you know, we're just women, children, families here. And but they were all murdered in cold blood. I guess this is a little bit macabre to bring on your podcast. No, no, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is right. I mean, this... This well, it's the principle one, face, you know, facing the loss, facing you, you, the loss. You, you, that's you, right. Whether and this is just expanding my view of what that means to me. That's always meant for, for facing the loss of my unmet needs in in my childhood and actually in my birth, right. which is where a lot of my trauma centered. 
but yeah, absolutely. This is what this is about. This is right. this is the release work. You've got to face the loss. You've got to face the pain. You've got to face it first and face also what you've done. So what we've done, you know, Governor Hickenlooper went there and to his credit, he did something that, that other leaders have yet to do, which is to, he didn't get down on his knees, but he tearfully, mournfully looked at the elders and said, we apologize. This was a heinous act and he named it and i wasn't there but i heard from in some indigenous colleagues of mine that grown men and women were weeping to hear those words of apology they were just weeping and the these ancient these elders were just you know just those words didn't no reparations no you know nothing but the gesture and it was so healing so yes, it is the first principle to face what has gone on in your life and, and just look at it, you know, eye to eye and, and not, not turn away from it, but to name it. Yes, very, very important. Yeah, and I, guess, and I guess the point you're making here is that if we've been at the effect of it, it's really important. You know, if we've been, you know, the victim and we talk about, you know, you, the, the role of victimhood, but... Um, but also if you were a perpetrator, right? Like, because that's going to help those who were victimized face their own loss. Right? Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, an apology, giving honor to people is so inexpensive, you know, it's so cheap. We can always do that, can't we? But it's so hard to do. And why aren't yeah. we doing more? And I noticed that with my kids. Like, if, I, if I've shouted at them or lost, you know, been snappy and, you know, lost, lost my call with, you know, and I get that there's like tension between us, like, I can, especially with one of my kids, he, he'll just like get a bit shut down and, you know, shulky or whatever. But the minute I go up and I say, hey, Arthur, I'm, I'm sorry, I snapped. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Yeah. He'll start to cry. And, it's, and, it, and, you, and that's like a beautiful moment, right? It, because it would have been, of course, been better if I'd not snapped in the first place. But at least I've now given him like the yeah. recognition. It happened. Right. He must have that's hurt beautiful. you. You know, now you can cry about it and, and you can that's release. Beautiful. It's like the defense, his, his armor has melted mm. and he can start to feel his feelings. That's beautiful. What a great example that is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, we yeah. You're, you're so right. This doesn't need the word Jewish, right? Of course, it's important in your own story, but the, the principles we're talking about um, are universal. That's right. And then yeah. and the second one, I think, also is to harness the power of our pain. Uh, this came from a, that that uh, phrase came from a Israeli colleague who lost his daughter in a suicide bombing and uh, his 14 year old who he loved so much. And well, we all we love our kids. Right. She was at the mall with her girlfriends shopping and there was a suicide bombing. And, and, and so she was just he found her in the morgue. This horrible story, and and he was a zombie. He tells the story. Rami El Khanan tells the story that he was a like a a, a, a like a rage. He became a rageful animal for about a year, just a zombie, just a horror. He couldn't work. He was just angry at life, and uh, and then he had this awakening. And I tell the story in the book that uh, somebody invited him to a a, a, fa- a bereavement group that was both Palestinian families as well as Israeli families. And he started, uh, he went there once and he saw these, these, uh, par- these Palestinian parents coming down from the bus with their children, just like he, his wife wore his daughter on a little, in a little locket on her chest, saw the same thing that the Arab 
families were doing the same thing with their children who had been murdered, had been killed. And, and uh, something snapped, just like you t- saying, something snapped in him and he started weeping in control. It's like he had melted. He, his, all of that armor and, and rage melted into grief. And he talked about harnessing the power of your pain. And I thought that that was such a great, a great way to phrase it, that our pain is so immense, but if you can use it as fuel to, to do something in your life, to be creative, to write a book, to teach, to share, so that you can, uh, to have purpose, to find meaning in your trauma, then your life changes radically. Yeah, I, I know that's a really important principle. You talk about post-traumatic growth in, in the book, right? And, and isn't it, it's interesting, it's a fine line because we can have that, that pain drive us and, and produce great things in the world, but um, we've got to be wary, right? Haven't we? We've got to be wary of weaponizing our own pain. Like what's... Yes. What may be suffering around the edges of us allowing to harness that you know, power? Very good and, point. And and and, and 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 how much of it do we? I have this, you know, question in my mind: like How much of that energy do I direct to productive work in the world versus my own healing? Because of course, we can all use it. We can we can also use it to fuel our own healing. Brilliant! Don't weaponize your pain. Yes, and that is happening in the world so much. Uh, I think when we become aware of it and we coming from a place of um, first vulnerability and owning our vulnerability and owning, you know, coming from the heart where we're saying, I have so much pain and I don't want you to go through that pain. It's, it doesn't become dogma as readily, mm. right? Uh, uh, again, I don't know if this is going on in, in, in England, but in, in this country, it's like, yes, I have pain and man, you're going to suffer because of it. You know, it's it's used. I I think that's brilliant what you just said. Uh, we we weaponize it, uh, but if we're coming from that place of uh, really understanding that we're vulnerable humans, and that our pain uh, really takes us down, and then we can use it to help someone or something, even if it's just helping myself, um, we're less likely to become rigid with it and dogmatic and. Um, use it like that what do you think yeah i think that's right and i think it, it's reminiscent of of the, the guy we had on the, on the podcast two back jesse thistle who's half scottish industry half um indigenous in canada and uh yeah he really talks about this idea of community and you know you talk about that as well as as how do we you know how do we encourage a community to heal right and and i think that's a really important idea like not just me, it is me doing my own healing. And it's about how do I take these experiences and offer them as contribution to a communal healing process. And it takes a community to traumatize someone. It takes a community to heal them. And thinking in those terms, like thinking about healing as an exchange between me and, and my community or, you know, various communities is is just it's a different way of conceptualizing i think healing um but sort of talks to this is instead of like using it as an engine for my own like productivity in the world and impact and me and richard doing great things like actually how you know it may be in the end be the same set of activities but like how do i conceptualize it as an offering to to community and isn't that a radical departure from Mm. what we're taught in the west 
you know, that it's me and mine and uh, it can use this to serve me to get ahead. And uh, it's this is about me uh, and in the law, you know, in my and what I have, uh, what I accumulate in terms of my degrees or my wealth or et cetera. Uh, it is that is I love what you're saying. Uh, yeah, it takes a, a community to heal. If we're thinking it's a shift in thinking, though, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a type of shifting, and I'm I'm not there. I'm definitely not there. Like I, it's like I I still conceptualize in the main my healing process is about Richard and you know the tears he sheds and the the things he resolves. I, I'm I think I'm yet to make that shift, but I and of course that will always be part of it. But it's it's the both, right? It's 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 my process and how is that a contribution to community? Yeah, and so it's horizontal. Uh, mm. horizontal shift, but it's also a vertical shift to think, or if you will, a vertical shift to think about the the, the people that I came from. Mm, um, that's right. Yeah, me, they have an effect on me, and I'm carrying them inside me. I'm carrying the at least I'm carrying the residues of their lives, uh, both the wisdom as well as the injuries, the the residues in me. So there's a kind of vertical as well as horizontal shift to think about, yes, and I, I want to make a contribution to, to, to others, to my community, whatever that is, you know, because we don't belong to synagogues and churches as much. And certainly in COVID is just, sorry, put a nail in that coffin. It's been so difficult to live in community during this mm. uh, pandemic. Um, uh, we have to, yeah. How do we, how do we think about our community? Who is our community? That's a great question. Yeah, exactly. And it's not something I, I put a lot of thought into. And I think I think in generations past, we wouldn't have even needed to, right? It, it would have just been part of how we led our lives. But I think right now, because we've become so atomized as in you know individuals in, a West, in Western societies, like we, I think we're at a point where we actually have to consciously put effort into it and put attention on it and have community building as part of our you know, conscious focus in life. And because it, it's not there for us, as an easy, easily available resource. Exactly, and uh, you know, and and that's one also one of the principles is finding people for my healing, finding people who understand what I've gone through. If I've if I've lived through trauma, whatever that is, whether it's sexual abuse or domestic violence or uh, discrimination or whatever it is, or just a car accident, it really helps to know other people who have gone through that because uh, whatever my PTSD is, whether it's nightmares or it comes in waves or it's uh, I start crying at a movie or wh- whatever that is, um, it's good to have somebody just shake their head and, and say, yeah, I've been there. I know what you're going through. And uh, so that we don't feel crazy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I think in my, in my, the beginning of my journey, it was, um, I used the 12 step groups a lot. Um, and, and not so much, not so much now, but it's, um, well, not at all now, but it's, it, you know, it's resurfacing like that re- realization that, well, hang on, it was community that, 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 that offered community. that hand, right. And it got me stable to begin with and allowed me to do the deep therapy work. Like, so, so what, so what, okay. So what's community now? Like, and I think, yeah. um, well, you, you know, I think it's, it's a wonderful community and, uh, it, it, uh, I'm sure they're doing meetings online, and mm. uh, so much is online now, which is also brilliant because it's global. Yeah, 
I never could have had people from Hong Kong or Tasmania or Australia in my in my courses uh, before, but now it's and I learned so much from people around the world. Yeah, 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 and I think it's this interlocking of communities, isn't there? Because I think there's something I got from the book is like you have to. There's almost a paradox, right? Because there's this. We have to identify the community that we're a part of. We have to, we have to create that identity to understand, right, the history of this community and this group and what happened. Um, not just the family line, but you know the broader community. That like that is an important aspect. That's what we're saying here of, of healing from trauma. And yet, as soon as you do that, you're creating another, right? Definitionally, and it's like, and what can I embrace of? of the other, right? And how can I be, remain open to other, right? It's, it's a That's paradox. Right. And that word itself, other, it, you know, it's becoming a verb, othering, I other you. <laughs> you become the it in Martin Buber's sense, uh, you know, I it, I thou. Um, but it, 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 yes, so if we use our community uh, consciousness and awareness to uh, reach out to other, reach out to the other communities, it's super, uh, it's super fulfilling and rich. Um, I, I think we can get very claustrophobic in our own community if we just stay in that pod, right? Mm. Uh, I want to learn from you. I think it's, I think it's so exciting and, uh, and from other communities. Uh, but that does seem to be one of the sicknesses of our era is the othering. And we've become, as a world, I think there's more hypernationalism and um, self-consciousness, you know, staying in our pod and, and, uh, and make, demonizing the other. In, in the United States, certainly there's huge polarization happening right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's happening. I think it is happening acutely in the, in the U.S. Um, but right, we're definitely seeing that shift in, in Europe, right? I mean, UK split from the EU. And there does seem to be a pull right now into, yeah, more. And in Spain, they're seeing it, right? A big, very strong separatist movements right now. So there's, there's, there seems to be, at this point in history, I, that seems to be the trajectory, right? For whatever reason, it's going back into, uh, yeah, these national identities, perhaps we're, we're reaching out for that more than has been in the past. So the question then becomes, as we're saying, well, how do you like honor that and not demonize the other, right? That's right. And that's, that's the part paradox. of the healing. That's right. Uh, it's harder. It's harder to do that. And it's more nuanced. And, and I'd say that we're, as human beings, we're not so good with the nuances and the paradoxes, you know, holding the tension of the opposites. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it really is that because it's like you cannot heal at a community level or let's say a national grouping level without like fully distinguishing it and identifying it and cherishing it for all of its specialness, all of its history and all of the pain itself, blah, 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 without creating the other. And it's like, yeah, it, it's a paradox. Um, yeah, but it, it's something we must face. I guess it's a bit like facing the loss, right? It's, uh, it's facing That's that, right. facing into yeah. that paradox. Um. And then this, this, yeah, talk about this identifying from victimhood. That's, see, there's, here we have the same uh, principle, you know, disidentifying. If I am, if I get stuck, let's say I'm a, let's say I'm a sexual abuse survivor. Uh, I've worked with many. Uh, and 
that can become my psychological and spiritual narrative. And that, that needs to become. For a while, I need to surround myself with people who have gone through that, surround myself with people who have lived through it and thrive, uh, counselors and other victims, quote unquote, other survivors. But if I remain there, I am lost. If I get stuck there and I don't bridge beyond it, it's exactly what you've been saying. Um, mm. So I want to, I want to um, have that community and, and be enriched by that community and healed by that community. <clears throat> but if that is all I am, then I'm going to become a very rigidified human being and very limited, right? If that's my, my whole identity and that's the glasses that I wear that I see, and we all know people who had that, whatever it was, it could be even a, 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 an illness or a, a trauma of some sort in their lives, uh, that's all they see the world through that lens. Then, then I become, I risk becoming a very, very limited human being, and I can't learn and I can't grow. It becomes like a shell around me. So uh, disidentifying from my victimhood uh, much better, something that, that you've already said is being in my community and then seeing, oh, wow, other people have their own kinds of traumas. I can reach out beyond that and look at this ethnicity, what they've gone through, or this uh, gender uh, orientation, what they've gone through, and, and, and use, my, use my suffering, in a sense, to allow me to see bigger mm. rather than to close down. Uh, so... Uh, yeah. I, yes, I think we we all know people who are who get stuck like this, or maybe we've gotten stuck like that. But um, it is in a in the long run, very very limiting. Yeah, it's like you've got to first base, isn't it? You've identified that you're you're a victim, uh, and that is that is super important, right? But then well, it's not even first base in terms of your. But you may have got that far, but then then still not really engaged with the loss. Um, <laughs> you. You, you could, it's possible to say I'm a sexual, let's say a sexual abuse survivor and, and still not really face the, what that really meant and the loss and, and, and grieve yeah. what happened, right? You, exactly. So just grabbing for the label is really just the very first step um, before the journey. Your word grief, uh, the grieving the loss, grieving it, feeling it, it's like that, that beautiful a uh, metaphor of your son who melts down, the uh, allowing ourselves to melt down and just wash, be a wash in our tears and in what we have lost before we build ourselves back up is so important yeah. to feel the feelings. Yeah, to feel to feel the feelings. And, and, and as we talk, I'm so grateful that when I started with my journey, like I, I had, like I was in denial and I thought I had this wonderful childhood and my parents were great. And then I broke through that denial and I, I got that I was a victim of abuse. Uh, and thankfully I had the community around me who could keep, keep me going, right? Okay. Now you've done that. Let's, let's start grieving the loss. And now I don't have any need for those labels. I don't consider myself a victim of anything. Um, yeah. it, you know, I had these experiences. I've, I've healed them. I'm in an ongoing process of healing and that's, yes. I, don't, I don't identify with any of those labels at all. It's so easy to get stuck. There's, there are all these stations on the way. These are all stations along the way of healing. And 
I think it's human. It's very natural to say, oh, no, I'm going to get stuck in that place. I'll never stop crying. If I start, if I start, just even start to feel my feelings, I will never get out of it. I will, I will cry forever. I will grieve. I will be a mess. And that's so natural, so human, but uh, we, we keep moving naturally. Mm. And then we do cry it out. I mean, even I just lost, uh, I just lost my favorite pet dog. He, it was from old age, but I just was, I was shocked by how affected I was, you know, just, okay, lost my dog. People go through that. You know, you go through many pets in your life. Um, I was just a wreck. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm opening up this, this well of grief in me, and I'll never get out of this. Well, even knowing what I do, I had that fear. Uh, and right. yes, I did move through it. It took me some mm. weeks, but mm. uh, I do. Now I, I just look at his picture, and I love him, and know he's inside me, and I'm moving on to getting another, another pet. But it, even something as simple as uh, losing an animal or um, losing a job, uh, that's not simple, actually. But we do keep moving in life. Yeah. And as I reflect on your story, and, and we could look at that and say that you, you were resourced sufficiently, right, to grieve the loss, to fully grieve the loss of your, of your dog, of your pet. But many aren't. And so that's, it begs the question, I'm just thinking of a, someone I dated once, and we were talking about therapy, and she said, oh, I, I, I couldn't go there because in her head, she had like just a concept of Russian dolls, right? I, I opened the first doll, and I just know there's like another hundred Russian dolls, and I don't want to open the first doll. And I thought, actually, that's accurate, right? That is pretty much how it goes. Um, but you, yeah, for whatever reason, she didn't feel like she had the support and the resources around her to, un, you know, to, to, to undo the first Russian doll. Um, and how could we create communities for all of us where we, we all feel like we're resourced to take that, to take that first Russian doll apart? That's right. And it makes us so much bigger of a, of a person to do mm. that, start that process, which is, it is a sort of endless process. And now I've added a whole other dimension to it, which is that it's, uh, we're not only grieving our losses, we're grieving our ancestors' losses too, my God. <laughs> but it is, it is so rich. It's such a rich journey, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is. Yeah, exactly. You just grow and it's fascinating. You know, the, the, it, is, it is rich. Absolutely, it's rich. And, and life just gets better and better and better and better. Like, like it's not linear. Like, you, you, it's bumpy, but it's, the trajectory is life just getting better. And, and you've added another dimension here. It's like, the, the, I like your idea of the vertical, you know, for me, the vertical and the horizontal, right? We're, we're healing horizontally and, and vertically as we go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Um, okay, well, I know we're coming up on time, and you've you've got you've got a commitment at the top of that hour here. Is there anything that we've we've not really retouched on um, that you'd like to cover before we close? Oh, this has been so rich. Uh, uh, no, I think that that's a very good nugget that we've opened this morning, and um, yeah, I, I I hope it stimulates some thinking for the people who are listening to us. And, and there's, there is a large community, and it's a very wonderful, rich community of people who, are, who have said, I'm in the business of healing. That's what I do. And, you know, of course, I have a job, I have a family, but I, I want to keep unpacking those Russian dolls. I want to know more. I want to grow. 
uh, in consciousness. This is the consciousness journey. And, uh, and there's, a there's a whole community of us out there globally and uh, across nations and across languages and ethnicities and religions that are committed to this growth. And that is so exciting. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. That's it. It, it exists. It's and it feels like it's growing. It's not like I've done this. I've not <laughs> done the analysis. I don't have the data, <laughs> but my sense is it's growing. Yeah, yeah. It's like a meta, a meta culture, a meta society. I guess uh, you would. You would. Do you have a sense of that within your religious circles? I mean, how does this marry with you being a rabbi? Is it? it you know, is there a sense it's growing within within the sort of Jewish Absolutely. religious. Uh, I think that there's, it, it's, this, it's really what we've been talking about as people. There's a, a movement that I'm part of, which is called Jewish Renewal. Uh, and there is this sense that we are uh, rooting down to find what's really uh, nourishing and healing within our own ancient tradition for the purpose of becoming better global citizens, you could say, or becoming more active in the world or understanding, empathizing more. So what have we gone through as an ethnicity, which is profound and, and really endless. The history, Jewish history is so profound and uh, the resilience there. But how can I, yeah, how can I use that to orient myself to love others more, to understand other people more, to help more, uh, to, to, to help in the world now with all these crises that are going on? So uh, it's rooting down, uh, you know, deeper in my own roots and then spreading out. Uh, it's really what we've been saying all along in all these different ways. Uh, I love that. Yeah. So that's my wish for people who are listening is that, uh, that you, we all do our work, you know, with our own ancestry and, and find the resilience and the wisdom and, and then, uh, yeah, turn the wounds into wisdom. Yeah, there we go. And you've just left me with that, just that beautiful metaphor, right? The, the, the deeper we can send our roots into the ground, the broader we can spread our branches and, and touch others. Yeah, no, love it. Okay, so we did say we'd, we'd, we'd talk about your website before we close. So where, where should people go yeah, to, to find uh, more? Yes, please feel free to uh, join me, get a newsletter, or I have teachings regularly that come out of www tirzafirestone.com very simple my name and dot com excellent all right uh and of course the book we'll put a link to the book words into wisdom now called healing intergenerational trauma right <laughs> and yeah is there anywhere else you would send people or that, that those are the best places to start that's good and then from there there's it branches out from there yes <laughs> awesome all right well thank you very much once again wonderful conversation really pleasure, enjoyed Richard. it you're part of my um, yeah. community. Yeah, and, uh, that's it. Lovely to get to Thank know you. you. And you. All right. Enjoy the rest of your, your day. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.